let's move ahead into this Thursday as we bring on midday on the Rural Radio Network. Hope you're doing okay. Got some scattered moisture around there. It's taken a little bit of a toll on a few of those Thursday events out in sports land, and we'll guide you on where you can find the latest on that here on the Rural Radio Network. Let's uh, move straight ahead into what we're doing today. The roundtable's all set up, ready to tell us what to expect on today's midday program. And we have Susan Littlefield with Agriculture News. If you're looking, it's lunchtime, and what a great opportunity to go eat at a business that supports so many different aspects of agriculture. And we're talking Culver's, so you can learn more at 1219. As Hannah talks with Erica Bayer about Culver's and their FFA promotion that is currently underway. Over at 1245, another update from Washington Watch of last week as Bryce catches up with Congressman Adrian Smith to find out his thoughts on the latest happenings in agriculture. Then at 117, Clay talks about the Nebraska 4-H Raise Your Hand campaign. There's an opportunity in there for Nebraska 4-H should they win to get $20,000. So more is coming up. As we continue on the midday. All right. And, uh, Susan, I do want to take just a second to ask you, because I know you've been hanging out rubbing elbows with bankers. And uh, how did that go? (laughs) That's a lot of fun, you know. Get a chance to sit down with these guys and talk about the optimism that they're seeing in rural Nebraska. And everybody says it's kind of had the same theme. They know their struggles in agriculture, but they're very pleased with how open producers are willing to sit down and talk to the bankers and educate them on some of the latest in technologies as well and how that's changing how they farm and it's changing how they're going to be banking as well all right very good we'll listen for a pro program on that programs on that as we move forward too thanks susan thanks to the whole ag team who will participate in today's program now let's move over to sports and find jason jorgensen well, unfortunately, this week uh, we've lost another Husker great. Uh, quarterback Dennis Claridge was the first quarterback for Coach Bob Devaney when he started to turn things around for the Huskers back in the early 60s. He passed away this week. He was the age of uh, 76. Now, Denny was also a broadcaster for a while, wasn't he? Denny Claridge? That I don't know. Yeah, that probably was before It goes back my to time. the day, yeah, uh, but, but absolutely. When they used to have three or four different networks, was he oh, one of the guys on one of those? Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Was he, was he did, good? Did a nice job, yeah. Uh, he knew the game inside and out. Sounded like he was a uh, great guy, so folks have been remembering him this week. Also, another Husker football news. Ben Miles, a fullback, the son of former LSU coach Les Miles, he was on the team. Well, he's decided to transfer. Uh, he tweeted about it last night. He is not bitter or anything. He leaves on good terms. But if you're a fullback and the new coaching staff comes in and they don't use a fullback, <laughs> then you probably should transfer. So you can't you can't yeah. blame him on that. So he, he's a yeah. good player. Best of luck to him. All right. So uh, we'll touch on all of that. Also, we'll tell you about the latest uh, UNK men's basketball recruit from the Omaha area. Be like a newsman who gets on a station with no news. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What would that be like, Bob? Gee, I don't know. <laughs> and you don't want to I guess I just I guess you just go on vacation forever. <laughs> Something you, like that. You will never find out, sir. Yeah, probably not. Mm. Uh, stocks are skidding on Wall Street, um, and there's a sell-off going on that uh, began the uh, began yesterday. Also, productivity shows slight improvements, and uh, the trade deficit is lower. Those stories and more coming up. All coming up on today's midday program. 
Let's bring Paul Perkins into the mix here now and do some ag weather for you. Presented by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. We get uh, maybe the treat of something we don't see all that often here, but can easily be mistaken for something else. Conditions could be favorable for today for some brief landspout tornadoes or two uh, this afternoon over extreme south central Nebraska and north central Kansas. Looks like the main focus of where these could occur include from Franklin east to Hebron and then points to the south into north central Kansas. Landspout tornadoes, they are weaker, but still nothing to mess with. They can cause some injury and some minor damage. It's all thanks to an area of low pressure that will be tracking across southern Nebraska, and that's kicking up a pretty good line of some thunderstorms in central Nebraska right now from about Sumner to in between Elm Creek and Kearney for traveling along Highway 30 and I-80, then to about Minden, and then it gets lighter as it heads to the south towards Franklin. It's all part of a system over southwest Nebraska, mainly west central Nebraska into northeast Colorado. This main area of low pressure currently over southwest Nebraska and probably towards the McCook area. That's where they're in the dry slot of this uh, thunderstorm cell in this area of low pressure. But some rain and thunderstorms all the way along the interstate from Ogallala to North Platte, and then it extends on over to Ocano and Sumner. Then quite a bit of rain and thunderstorm activity into north-central Nebraska, into the Sand Hills, Thedford, Dunning, on up to Atkinson, Basson, and O'Neill. And more is on the way on the backside of this system in the way of some light rain into the Nebraska Panhandle. It's all thanks to that area of low pressure. Once again, we'll track across southern Nebraska into Iowa tonight. Most of the rain totals with this system, about a quarter of an inch to a half inch. Lower totals if you're headed towards northern Kansas, but if you're headed north on I-80, you're looking to some higher amounts to the north of I-80. That main severe threat with this system moving through going to be over southeast Nebraska into eastern Kansas for this afternoon. We do have that slight risk of some severe storms over southeast Nebraska and northeast Kansas. Basically, if you're Along and southeast of a line from Omaha to Seward and Hebron to Concordia, that's where you're in that slight risk for severe storms. Otherwise, we could see some small hail with these thunderstorms. If we do see any thunderstorms developing, um, right now the chance for some quarter-sized hail looks to be the greatest to the east of Highway 281. Can't completely rule out an isolated severe storm, but most west and central areas should avoid any severe weather for today. This system will quickly exit to the east tonight. High pressure pushes in from the west to rapidly clear the skies, and then we're headed towards some sunshine and warmer than normal temperatures tomorrow into Saturday. A slight chance of some rain by Sunday with the cold front. Temperatures cool to normal to slightly above normal for early next week. Our next decent chance of rain and thunderstorms after this system arriving with with an area of low pressure Tuesday into Wednesday. In the long term, it's very likely Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal Tuesday through May 16th. In fact, nearly all of the U.S. warmer than normal, just a few locations close to seasonal. It's rather mixed on precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas. Nebraska will start with above normal rain in the middle part of next week, then trend near normal late next week through May 16th. The Kansas outlook, mostly below normal rainfall Tuesday through the 16th. Drought coverage increased in Nebraska in the latest drought monitor. 72% of Nebraska still drought-free. South-central and southeast Nebraska to the south of I-80 still abnormally dry to a moderate drought. It's now also abnormally dry east of a line from Fullerton to Aurora. In Kansas, only Cheyenne and Sherman County remain drought-free. North of I-70 and the extreme east are abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought right along in south of I-70 and the east-central the highest stages of extreme to exceptional drought along and south of the Arkansas River and to around McPherson and Marion. 
In the markets, weather factors include late-week rain in the Midwest and ongoing dryness in central Brazil. Rain and thunderstorms crossing the Midwest the next five to seven days. That rain will delay corn planting some, but also help with crop moisture. The most notable area for planting disruption going to be in northern Iowa and southern Minnesota. Wheat crop prospects in the southern plains remain well below average due to persistent dryness that dates back to last October. Moderate to locally heavy rain occurred yesterday in south-central Kansas through central Oklahoma. That rain benefited a key sector of the winter wheat production area a little bit. Little to no rain, though, occurred in southwest areas of the southern plains. In central Brazil, signs continue to indicate a 20% reduction in second crop corn from last year due to persistent dry weather there. Your regional ag weather is presented by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. We received what looks like about a tenth of an inch in that brief shower here. Latest radar picture, Paul, seems to show some maybe pea to dime-sized hail involved with that uh, earlier described line of showers that's running through the Kearney area, northeast to southwest there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it looks like it's just about to enter the Kearney area, but they have the main focus of that system from about Miller down to Kearney to just south of Kearney to north of Minden. I described that wrong, northwest to southeast, <laughs> and going right through Kearney there. And some pretty heavy rain involved with that, so if you're along Highway 30, I-80 in that area, you might think about uh, taking a little break there, getting off, because that's probably some pretty heavy stuff at the moment. Yeah, probably some rough driving there for sure. All right. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Yesterday wrapped up day two of the Wheat Quality Tour. I'm Shaley Peters with you now as we take a midday look at ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Dave Green, Executive Vice President of the Kansas Wheat Quality Council, talks about what they saw headed across Kansas and down south to parts of Oklahoma. Well, day two went okay for for most of us, but uh, we did have a lot of groups get caught in the hail and the thunderstorms that were out there yesterday afternoon, so it ended kind of hectically, but... Uh, Day two, we, we covered all the ground between Colby, Kansas, and back to Wichita. Some routes by Oklahoma, some routes well into the southwest. And, and so uh, the 21 cars that we sent out had a good chance to look at wheat that was in a little tougher shape than it was the first day. Green again touches on freeze damage and how it's not really the story of this year's tour. There, there was some, but uh, and some, some of the people were saying, you know, some of the heads looked like, you know, maybe one or two percent of the heads were were uh, white. So there, there was signs of the freeze damage, but uh, like we've been saying most of the time, I don't think that's the real story of the tour. I think the story is that uh, the wheat is late and short, and and it's been very dry. Check one two. The calculated yield from all cars was 35.2 bushels per acre, but at the Wednesday evening wrap-up meeting, tour scouts again talked about the wheat being behind schedule and very small. Head size has already been determined, and heads will be smaller this year, affecting final yields. Abandoned acres were scattered along the Kansas routes, but scouts traveling in Oklahoma reported an even higher percentage of fields being grazed by cattle. You can again keep up to date with all of the wheat quality tour happenings by visiting ruralradio.com. And the U.S. 
Class Roundtable for Sustainable Beef today opened a 60-day public comment period on the group's sustainability framework. The USRSB sustainability framework is a set of resources developed to assist ranchers, cattle auction markets, feed yards, packers, processors, and retail and food service organizations in their efforts to continuously improve the sustainability of U.S. beef. The framework was developed from the collective efforts of more than 200 individuals who make up the USRSB and represent all segments of the beef value chain from producers to retailers, including non-governmental organizations and academic institutions, said Kim Stackhouse Lawson, JBS USA Sustainability Director and 2018-2019 USRSB Chair. The USRSB membership has invested more than three years in developing these resources, which we believe will serve as an invaluable tool in enhancing U.S. beef sustainability and increasing economic opportunities in rural landscapes across America. The USRSB public comment period will end July 1st. And every scoop counts at Culver's today as their Scoops of Thanks Day is happening. Guests can get $1 single scoops of fresh, frozen custard, and all proceeds will go to FFA and other local agricultural organizations that strengthen American agriculture and the industry's future leaders. Scoops of Thanks Day is part of Culver's Thank You Farmers Project. The project supports agricultural education programs like the National FFA Organization that encourage smart and sustainable farming practices in an effort to make sure they continue to have enough food to feed the country's growing population. We're proud to support local FFA chapters as they continue to prepare young people to strengthen American agriculture, said Jesse Crakey, Senior Marketing Manager at Culver's. Scoops of Thanks Day allows our guests to join us in supporting young leaders who will work to create a sustainable food supply for future generations. And that's been a quick check of your midday ag news. Of course, for more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Every scoop counts on scoops of Thanks Day happening at Culver's today. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. Joining me on the phone is Erica Bayer of Iowa serving as National FFA Secretary. Erica, I'm a big fan of Culver's, but today's an extra special day to make a purchase of custard. Tell us why today is special. Absolutely. So as we continue to grow as United States and as a world, it's going to be so important for us to be able to fill agricultural jobs um, and careers and FFA is doing just that. So today at Culver's you can purchase a scoop of custard, their famous custard for one dollar and all the proceeds go towards FFA. Um, The goal is to reach over fifty thousand dollars that directly supports our FFA members and their chapters, getting them jackets and a bunch more things in between so we're definitely excited to go get some culvers today (laughs) yes we are too here at the office so all the money raised for this is going to local ffa chapters what do you think it means for a local ffa chapter to receive a donation from culvers oh it definitely means a big deal um we had a couple chapters in iowa last year that received donations from their local culvers and because of that Students were able to go to the National FFA Convention for the first time. Um, They were able to compete at nationals and have the money to be able to do so. They ended up buying some FFA jackets. And that's just one very, very small example of how Culver's um, and this fundraiser impacts FFA members. Culver's Scoops of Thanks is a part of their Thank You Farmers project that has raised nearly $2 million for agriculture education. 
What does it mean to you and to National FFA that a big franchise like Culver's is investing in the future of agriculture? We are absolutely so thankful for all the support we can get. Um, as agriculture continues to progress into the 21st century, it's our duty as FFA members and as teachers in agriculture and FFA to be able to introduce students to all types of careers ranging from on-the-farm production agriculture to food systems. And Culver supporting us through FFA allows us to amplify that message to members that Culver's is just as much a part of agriculture as maybe a John Deere is for some. This should convince everyone to go out to Culver's and make a purchase of custard so that they can be donating to National FFA. But on the same topic, while I've got you on the phone this week, the National FFA convention theme was announced. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So my team and I, we are so excited to introduce our new theme of Just One. And the idea of this really sparked from some conversations we had earlier in the year um, and we were talking about how we got to the point of being a national SSA officer. And a lot of those conversations ended up starting with the words, well, it was just one agriculture teacher that helped me along the way, or it was just one contest that helped me see my future, or it was just one community service project that helped me realize servant leadership is necessary um, in our world. And so with those just ones that we experienced to help us get to where we are, we're hoping that that theme will spark action at convention and past convention of members serving their just one act or whatever it is they choose to do. That was Erica Bayer of Iowa, who is serving as National FFA Secretary. Today only, every scoop of custard is $1 and the proceeds are donated to a local FFA chapter. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Hannah Borg. Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, fullback Ben Miles, a redshirt freshman and the son of former LSU head coach Les Miles, announced last night that he's been granted his release from Nebraska and intends to transfer. Miles announced on Twitter his decision to transfer to another school where the fullback is used more prominently than it will be under new head coach Scott Frost. Another Husker news, another former great has passed away. Dennis Clarge, quarterback Nebraska to a 13-7 Orange Bowl victory over Auburn following the 1963 season, died this week after a three-year battle with bladder cancer. He was 76. He was a native of Minnesota and actually was a recruit of former coach Bill Jennings and largely credited for helping the Huskers turn things around in the early years under Devaney. Under Claridge, Nebraska went 9-2 in 1962. They were even better than that in 1963 when they went 10-1. and UNK men's basketball coach Kevin Lofton continues to add to an impressive recruiting class. Bellevue West senior Cedric Johnson, second-team superstater and all-stater, tweeted last night that he will be signing with the Lopers to play basketball. The six-foot-two Johnson averaged 16 points and six rebounds per game for the Thunderbirds, who lost to Creighton Prep in the Class A state title game this year. Johnson had numerous offers from Division II schools from around the region to play either basketball or football. Well, Jason Witten is retiring after 15 seasons, choosing the offer of lead analyst for ESPN's Monday Night Football over becoming the longest-tenured player in the history of the Cowboys. The 
Ten-time Pro Bowl tight end and form coach Jerry Jones with that plan this week. Just days from turning 36, Witten walks away as the leader in games, catches, and yards receiving for a franchise with five Super Bowl wins, but none since the 1995 season. He and Tony Gonzalez are the only tight ends in NFL history with at least 1,000 catches and 10,000 yards. Another NFL news, Bruce Arians is joining CBS as an NFL game analyst. Arians, a two-time winner of the AP's Coach of the Year Award, retired as coach of the Cardinals in January. He will work with play-by-play announcer Greg Gumbel and analyst Trent Green in a three-man booth. Arians, if you remember, won two Super Bowls as offensive coordinator with the Steelers. He first worked in the NFL in 1989 and also was a head coach at the age of 30 at Temple, working there from 1983 to 1988. And in last week's Holdridge invite, Mason Conyer of York cleared 7 feet 2 and a quarter inches in the high jump competition. Well, the NSAA confirmed today that that effort is now the new Class B Boys State record. So congratulations to him on that fantastic effort. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There is a chance of showers across the state for tonight, but no severe weather expected. I'm Dave Schroeder. State officials who investigate allegations of attorney misconduct have declined to pursue a grievance filed by State Senator Ernie Chambers against a former Nebraska Supreme Court justice. Chambers had asked the Nebraska Supreme Court's counsel for discipline to disbar former Justice Max Kelch, who resigned in February after a judicial ethics complaint was filed against him. Chambers sent a letter to the Nebraska Supreme Court Chief Justice Michael Hevikin arguing that the matter should be investigated. Judicial ethics complaints remain confidential unless the commission uncovers probable cause for discipline. Kelch stepped down before that could happen. He had been on the court for less than two years. Council of Discipline Mark Weber says in a letter to Chambers he doesn't have jurisdiction to investigate the grievance. Dennis Claridge, the quarterback who helped college football Hall of Fame coach Bob Devaney turn a Nebraska program into a national power, has died. He was 76. The university said Claridge died Tuesday after a three-year battle with cancer. A spring storm has churned up strong winds and at least one tornado that toppled trees and power lines in suburban Kansas City, Kansas. Ryan Cutter with the National Weather Service says a confirmed tornado was small and briefly touched down in Belton, Missouri. Wind gusts of up to 70 miles per hour were reported in several Kansas City suburbs and the gusts topped 80 miles per hour in Lacine, Kansas. No injuries have been reported. Another round of storms ex- expected tonight. Topeka Zoo officials say a 23-year-old American black bear died after an eye condition rapidly deteriorated. The Topeka Capital Journal reports the bear, called Sneak, possibly poked herself in the eye while playing with a stick on Monday. Topeka spokesman Molly Hadfield says injury quickly grew worse and the bear was taken to a veterinary hospital on Wednesday where she died. The U.S. military has launched an investigation into the crash of a C-130 cargo plane that killed nine Puerto Rican airmen after a takeoff in Georgia. Colonel Pete Boone of the Georgia Air National Guard says investigators will use every resource at their disposal to identify a cause. Boone said the military has also confirmed all nine airmen on board died when the large aircraft plunged onto a highway near Savannah, causing a large fireball and explosion. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. 
Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Congressman Adrian Smith has been representing Nebraska's 3rd District since 2007. Recently, the congressman has worked on trade, voted in support of the Republican tax code, and he'll find a solution to the Section 199A grain glitch. I sat down with a congressman in his Washington, D.C. office last week and began by asking him the state of the rural economy. Well, considering the challenges that agriculture is facing, I, I still think that we're on a, in a fairly strong position to, to improve, uh, to provide more opportunity, hopefully see young people return to the family operations. Uh, hopefully we'll get some prices strengthened. We're looking at a new farm bill. We're looking at getting through some trade policies that have set the prices back a bit. Uh, we, I think the sooner we address NAFTA and, and these other uh, tariff issues, uh, the, the better off we'll be. In March, Congressman Smith traveled with congressional delegation to Mexico City as part of the negotiating rounds of NAFTA. The congressman is optimistic about seeing NAFTA renegotiated very soon. Well, I, I'm encouraged that uh, there are, uh, I mean, there's word that NAFTA is moving forward, uh, that we're pretty close to uh, being able to uh, wrap up that negotiation. Certainly, I was glad to be a part of, uh, of the process, really, uh, more close up uh, in Montreal and Mexico City. These were brief, brief but uh, productive visits as we've engaged uh, on, on these issues. We know that U.S. agriculture has done well with increasing exports under NAFTA. Let's not undermine that. If we need to modern, modernize NAFTA, which I think there are some components that we need to modernize, uh, let's do that and in, in not do harm to the advancements uh, that, that agriculture has had under, under NAFTA. The Trump administration has used tariff threats as a tool to renegotiate trade deals. Agriculture industry groups have expressed their concern with that tactic. As the third district representative, I asked Smith his opinion on the matter. Well, I'm not a fan of tariffs. Tariffs, uh, even when they're tried to, use, tried to be used as, as leverage, they increase the cost of products. Uh, a lot of unintended consequences uh, of raising tariffs. So we need to avoid that. Naturally, I mean, I disagree with George Bush on some things when he was president. I, I will disagree with, with President Trump from time to time. But it's about moving forward, looking for a solution, uh, alternatives. Let, let, let's have more specific uh, plans and, and strategies for addressing China's uh, unfair trade practices because, believe me, they exist. And we need to address that without blanket tariffs. Uh, e even with you know some exceptions here and there, say Canada and Mexico on steel and aluminum, that that's not good enough. You know we we hear from from Europe and we've got some good trading partners in Europe. Uh, let let's uh, not alienate the trade partnerships uh, elsewhere in the world just because we're trying to get to China. Sorghum growers are already feeling trade pain as China imposed a 179 percent tariff on their product. That that is very concerning and. and Obviously, China is trying to use this as leverage. Uh, it's unfortunate because they are proposing to increase the cost of, of food products virtually to Chinese, uh, the Chinese population. And that's, uh, that has consequences that I don't think they will like either. Uh, so we can, we can do better. Uh, and and I, I would hope that uh, China will, will back down from that. Uh, but certainly, the, just the numbers point to themselves, or themselves point to the unproductive approach uh, that tariffs or uh, similar forms of taxes uh, can have, 
that penalize consumers at, at the end of the day. Switching gears, the 2018 Farm Bill has been voted out of the House Agriculture Committee. Congressman Smith says he's begun to review the details of the bill. I've been doing that uh, just uh, on my desk right now are, are more details about the Farm Bill. I, uh, I, so far, I think uh, what has been proposed from the Ag Committee and that got out of Ag Committee last week I think is, is good. I mean, crop insurance is strong. Uh, hearing from producers, you know, I had a, a series of Farm Bill listening sessions around the 3rd District. Hearing from producers looking at perhaps some streamlined administration of the Farm Bill, making, making it easier to comply, easier to use. Uh, I, I see signs of that as well. I think, you know, the, the uh, SNAP, the nutrition title, it's, it's very important. And I think some very modest reforms there help address uh, the issue facing our country of, you know, huge, huge numbers of folks on, on SNAP and how, how can we get them to a self-sufficient uh, position so that we can connect them with opportunity, work opportunities. I think we're headed in the right direction with what, uh, what the Ag Committee ha has worked on so far. Congressman Smith is hopeful that the Farm Bill will see floor time in the House very soon. Well, I, I would hope uh, sooner rather than later. I, I think uh, folks are discussing it now in terms of rounding up the, the votes for uh, what the committee moved out uh, last week. So if they're not the votes uh, for that, uh, then I think there will, there will uh, be you know, talk of, of redoing some things and, and perhaps a fewer reforms uh, that, that can be good policy. I, I would hope that, I mean, we're in a good position, say, with crop insurance. And I would hope that that is not weakened uh, due to the uh, resistance to some other parts of the bill, uh, because that, that part does, does make me nervous. But we're in a good position, especially, you know, crop insurance is what producers tell me is the most important component of the farm bill, in, in their view. And so uh, we've taken that to heart. And, and uh, that's why crop insurance in this current version is, is very strong. Let's keep it that way. That was U.S. Congressman Adrian Smith. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. Well, there were some pretty impressive cash cattle sales in the Southern Plains today. Let's talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities about that and how it affected the uh, livestock futures. Joe? Yeah, it was. It was awfully uh, good sales down south, uh, and that really ignited the market. We started out uh, choppy back and forth, and as soon as the uh, sales took place, boy, the market just exploded. And uh, we got triple-digit gains in the in the live cattle uh, in response. And it sold off just a little bit uh, in the end of the day, uh, but uh, all in all, a pretty good day. Now, some of the sales that I've heard up north aren't quite uh, as uh, uh, high as uh, they were down in uh, in Texas and, and Kansas. So uh, that kind of left things uh, up in the air. Cutouts were higher again at noon, so everything uh, kind of still rolling along, and we're closing the trying to close the gap between uh, futures and uh, and the uh, cash trade. Uh, the feeders following suit triple digit gains there too uh, the, uh, actually the sales have been picking up a little bit here lately so that also helping uh, the attitude so pretty strong day even in the uh, uh, feeders over in the hogs it kind of faded uh, at the end of the day we are going to end up mixed the front end just a little bit better but the back end a little bit lower 
Uh, we started out higher and tried to hold, but the cutouts at noon were off again, and that, and the cash seemed to be uh, just about steady. That just wasn't enough to hold the market. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska 4-H is no newcomer to being recognized on the national stage. With that being said, though, they haven't clinched the top spot yet for the Raise Your Hand campaign put on by the National 4-H Foundation. 2018 looks to be different, though, as Nebraska is currently in second and is quickly coming up on first. We find out more here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. I'm talking with Abby Durheim, Foundation Intern for Nebraska 4-H Foundation. And Abby, give us a brief overview of what the National 4-H Raise Your Hand campaign is and how Nebraska is doing. Of course. The 4-H Raise Your Hand campaign is a national campaign where we are competing with all the other states across the country to see who can engage the most 4-Hers, 4-H alumni, and friends of 4-H. By engaging one of these people, we are asking them to vote online at 4h.org slash raise your hand and vote for Nebraska. And by winning this campaign, we would then be engaging the most amount of people and in turn we get $20,000 put back into our youth programs from National 4-H. Currently we're in second place, so we're trying to clench the lead and win that $20,000 for our kids. And just real quick so that folks know, when did the competition start and when will it end? When do they have to uh, get those final votes to be number one? The competition started April 1st and May 15th is the end. And we are coming up close on that and we are super excited to see what happens next. Is this a new contest from National 4-H or is this one that they've ran for several years? This is the second year this contest has run and last year Ohio 4-H won it. And currently, we're sitting right behind Ohio 4-H this year, so we want to make sure that we bump them out of the lead and show the world what Nebraska's got. And we know Nebraska 4-H, there's, there's really almost an endless amount of opportunity for young people that are in it, and $20,000 can go a long ways towards a lot of projects. So if Nebraska does end up clinching those final votes, they can beat Ohio and they win the $20,000. What's Nebraska's 4-H plan with the money? Nebraska 4-H is excited to see what we can do with this $20,000 and really giving back to the leadership and the citizenship development programs that are such staples in Nebraska 4-H. And we really want to make sure that we are aligning with our educational priorities and being able to impact the most amount of youth with this $20,000. And break it down. Give us a little bit more background about the programs that this could go to. You talked about citizenship and leadership development. What are some specific... uh, events around the state that occur with that and some past stories of folks that have been through it. So um, different programs like robotics and agricultural sciences are some of the big staple projects here in Nebraska and other opportunities and events like attending National 4-H Congress and other leadership events like National 4-H Conference are also up for grabs in these leadership development program funding. That's Abby Durheim. She's the foundation intern for Nebraska 4-H Foundation. Abby, thank you so much for bringing us this great information. One more time, give us the information folks can go so they can go and vote and make Nebraska 4-H number one to help them win $20,000. Go online to 4-H.org slash raise your hand and vote for Nebraska. 
Make sure you get out there and vote before May 15th so that Nebraska 4-H and 4-H Foundation can help win $20,000. Again, we talked with Abby Durheim, Nebraska 4-H Foundation intern. Abby, thank you for all the great information. As always, keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Well, the grains closed higher today, even the soybeans. Let's find out why that soybean trade rebounded from John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. A lot of hints out there as to why these soybeans had some double-digit gains at the end. Well, I think it's Argentina. So Argentina is a disaster of an economy and a currency at this point, and they raised their uh, rates or I'm sorry, drop their or raise their rates rather to try to cut down on inflation. And about 15 minutes before the close, we saw a crash in the peso um, that just continued to to fall. And Argentina is known for a couple of things. One, it's egg production in uh, in wheat, and it's also egg production in soybeans. So uh, if you're a producer in that country, that is why they don't sell for that reason alone. Because rather than own where a U.S. producer, for example, would sell their beans to, to raise dollars because we like dollars. We want to have a bank account full of dollars. Down there, they don't want, pay, they don't want the currency. They'd rather have the, uh, the commodity for bartering. So uh, I think that's another kind of wrinkle into this whole grain picture right now that, are, uh, that we got to kind of keep in mind. Uh, it's a perfect storm. We're starting to line up that way. And the last domino to fall here would be a U.S. weather problem for beans. So um, be ready. This is going to be a heck of a summer, Dewey. All right, double-digit gains in the winter wheat contract still. Yeah, I mean, heck of a move. And, again, I think Argentina has a lot to play with that. They're, they're a big producer of wheat for the southern hemisphere uh, in, as far as, you know, sufficing winter, uh, the opposite kind of price cycle that, that the U.S. would grow into. Um, throwing the fact that the, the yields down, and I think they came in around 39, was it 40? I can't remember the official number. I, I just read it. But uh, about 10% below, 15% below where they were a year ago. So you've got that kind of in the cards here as well. Um, you know, I don't know. It's at this point on wheat and corn. I, I think we're going to retest. Um, we're retesting the summer highs from a year ago right now in the front months, while corn has about six cents to go. I think we will see that before the WASD. But you get into the WASD report, and we get a bullish number out of the uh, Brazilians, and then you start getting into U.S. weather problems. I mean, this is where volatility and it. It's going to start to set in. So a lot of guys who have sold earlier or have short call premium or have made a lot of early hedges, the next shoe to drop for them will be margins to go up. And that's my thought is sooner than later they're going to raise margins here at the Chicago Board of Trade, and that could bring a whole other wave of buying as folks try to run away from this market. So I, I would tell folks to, to remain patient. I know there's a lot of profit margin there right now that wasn't there before, but I think, uh, I think there's upside here, especially as we get into the U.S. weather season. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.